Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. Uh, we welcome you here today to Destiny Church. We're ready to dive into the Word of God. I want you to open your Bible to 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to continue this series on rarefied faith. I feel like God is just wanting to uh, stir our faith and stir our hearts for the more of the Lord. Amen. And we're going to just take a take a trip. I don't know how long, but uh, we're going to go through some some scripture as the Lord leads on uh, just taking a fresh look at things. Maybe some stories like today. We've heard this story uh, a thousand times, but we're going to dive in and look at it through the eyes of uh, what we understand faith to be from the New Testament, how Jesus wants us to operate. So to honor the reading of God's word, I'm going to ask everyone to stand to your feet, please. First Samuel 17, we'll just, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're just going to jump in and jump out a few places. All right. First Samuel 17, verse one, and the Philistines gather their troops for battle. They assembled at Soko in Judah and encamped in Ephes Damim between Soka and Azekah. <laughs> Can we get an interpretation for that, please? Saul and the Israelite army assembled and camped in the Valley of Elam. By the way, I was just taking a stab at all those pronunciations. I'm not sure they were right at all, so don't think I necessarily knew that. Where they arranged their battle lines to fight against the Philistines. And the Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites on the other hill with the valley between them. Verse 4, then the champion. We know who this character is, right? The champion then came out from the camp of the Philistines. His name was Goliath. He was from Gath. He was close to seven feet tall. Bible scholars say about six feet nine. If you were six feet nine, then you probably seem like a giant. You might seem like a giant today at six feet nine. If you walked in here, like, wow, that guy's tall. Girl's tall, right? He had a bronze helmet on his head and wearing scale body armor. The weight of his bronze armor was 5,000 shekels. He had bronze shin guards on his leg and a bronze javelin slung over his shoulder. Basically, if you were playing king of the mountain, you wouldn't want this guy to be on the mountain. He's like a big old stump. You ain't going to move him out of there. A bronze javelin slung over his shoulders. The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer was walking before him. And Goliath stood and called to the troops of Israel, Why do you come out to prepare for battle? I am not the Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose for yourselves a man that he may come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and strike me down, we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and strike him down, you will become our servants and will serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy Israel's troops this day. Give me a man so we can fight each other. I want to tell you the, the, the couple of things. First of all, the, the power in this story and the scariness of Goliath, of Goliath didn't necessarily have anything to do with his height. Just because you are tall on a battlefield does not necessarily give you an advantage. Hello, you ever watch boxing? You know, sometimes you have an advantage, sometimes you do not. It just depends on who you're boxing, right? What made Goliath so formidable was everything they just said. 
This man had spent his entire life being a warrior. He was like uh, similar to what, what we would understand as Achilles uh, for the Greek army, right? Somebody who was born and bred to fight. He was highly trained. His weapons weighed a lot. His armor weighed a lot. And more importantly, he was used to working with them and he was very good at it. So don't be like, oh, he was so tall. No, no, that wasn't the scary part. The scary part was who he was, right? Now, David, verse 12, was the son of this Ephrite, Ephrathite, yes, named Jesse from Bethlehem in Judah. He had eight sons, and in Saul's days, he was old and well advanced in years, and Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. We're going to skip on down here. So verse 16, for more than 40 days, the Philistine approached every morning. That would get old, wouldn't it? 40 days, every morning, mocking, cursing, cowards, why aren't you fighting? Verse 20, so David got up early in the morning and entrusted the flock to someone else who would watch over it and loading up. He went and just as Jesse instructed him and he arrived at camp, he was taking some food to his brothers. And as the army went out along the line shouting its battle cry, Israel, the Philistines drew up battle lines opposite each other. After David had entrusted his cargo to the care of a supply officer, he ran to the battlefront. And when he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were doing. And as he was speaking, the champion once again makes an appearance, Goliath. The Philistine from Gath was coming up from the battle lines of the Philistines and he spoke the way he usually did. And David heard it. And when all the men of Israel saw this, they got excited and charged. They retreated from his presence and were very afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? And he does so to defy Israel. But the king will make the man who can strike down him very wealthy he will give him his daughter in marriage and he will make his father's house exempt from tax obligations in Israel. And David asked the men who were standing near him, what will be done for the man who strikes this Philistine and frees Israel from this humiliation? Like, tell me again. For who is this uncircumcised heathen that he defies the armies of the living God? And the soldiers told him what he had been promised, saying, this is what will be done for the man who can strike him down. And when David told his brothers, Eliab heard him speaking to the men, he became angry. And David said, why? And said to David, why have you come down here? To whom you did, did you entrust those few sheep in the desert? I am familiar with your pride and your deceit. And you come down here to watch the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Can't I say anything? Some translations say, is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason for me to be saying something here? Isn't, there ca- isn't this cause to speak up? See how that rolls there? Then he turned to those who were nearby to someone else and asked the same question, but they gave the same answer. So David's words were overheard and reported to Saul. Please note that David never went to Saul and said, I'll take him on. His words were reported. Saul called for David, right? I just like getting the story right. And David said to Saul, I love this. Don't be discouraged. Your servant will go fight this Philistine. But Saul replied to David, you aren't able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're, you're just a boy. Right again, Bible scholars tell us he's probably 16, 17, right? And this man, here's the scary part. He's been a warrior. He's been fighting for the last 20, 30 years. You've never. (laughs) He's been. 
And David replied, Saul, your servant has been a shepherd for his father's flock. Whenever a lion or bear would carry off sheep from the flock, I would go out after it and strike it down and rescue the sheep from its mouth. If it rose up against me, I would grab it by the jaw, strike it and kill it. Your servant has struck down both lion and bear. This uncircumcised heathen will once again be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David went on to say, the Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear will also deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his own fighting attire and put a bronze helmet on his head and put body armor on him. And David strapped on the sword and he tried to walk, but he just wasn't used to them. You see, David, this tells David was kind of a big guy. Saul was over six feet tall. David was probably about that height as well. We see these little pictures of a little boy coming out and he's dragging a sword and he can't see out his helmet. Right. And he's like, no, no, no. David was a full grown man. Right. Body wise. But the problem was he wasn't used to it. The victories that he had had in the past had nothing to do with armor before. The armor wasn't going to have anything to do with it now. So David said, I came and walk in these things. I'm not used to them. So David removed them. He took his staff in his hand. He picked out five smooth stones from the stream, placed them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, put his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But I want to open in prayer and ask God to open our eyes and our heart because I want us to increase in supernatural faith today. I want to ask God to raise our faith love. Are you ready for that today? Are you ready? Come on. How many ready to attempt things you've never thought you could attempt for God? Come on. Some of you have little things, right? Little things that you know God's telling you to do, but you're afraid to let go. You're afraid to write that check. You're afraid to take that step. You're afraid to do whatever that is. And it's time to say, God, faith in you is going to be the victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So, Lord Jesus, we ask, increase our faith in this room today. Increase our faith, God. We didn't, you didn't save us and call us God so we could be static, Lord Jesus, so we could just come and fill a seat in a church on Sunday. But, God, you have called us and empowered us that we could be a force to be reckoned with on this planet lord jesus the church should be the most powerful organization on the planet because it is full of the spirit of god it operated by faith and faith is the currency of heaven so jesus we ask increase us in your faith today that we could do valiantly for you god lord jesus that in your hand we can accomplish exploits in the name of jesus christ because this world needs to see it. This world needs to see gospel validation with power, signs, and wonders in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask it. If you believe that, say amen. You may be seated. Now, I want to give you some observations about David before I talk to you about some characteristics of rarefied faith. But the first thing I want, you hear me say this all the time, and I finally found him. We, we have to kind of get rid of flannel graph Jesus. Now, flannel graph Jesus is awesome because when, you know, a lot of us, especially older, right? If we were in Sunday school, we remember the flannel graph and the tremendous stories. But part of the problem with the flannel graph is a lot of, a lot of that caused Jesus to stay two-dimensional on a felt board. And we want to get him off the flannel graph and into our life today. We also want accuracy, right? Because the flannel board Jesus, we, we think that Eve gave Adam a what? Oh, but he didn't. She didn't. What's the Bible say? It doesn't say apple, right? Because of the flannel graph, we think that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the Bible does not say whale. It says a great fish, 
Right? We could go on and on, but we want, we need to make sure that we get what the word says correctly. And most importantly, we get the two dimensional Jesus off our screens. Now, I want to tell you that David's victory, and I, I hope this isn't shocking to you, but I just want to tell you this it wasn't supernatural. Men die on the battlefield all the time. There there was nothing supernatural. Now, parting of the Red Sea, that was supernatural. See, I want to strike at some things today that are holding your faith back. Because I've heard the sermons too. I've heard it preached this way. David could have gone out there and just thrown the stone in the air. And the Lord would have caught it. And would have put it right between the giant's eyes. No. If that's the case, why did David select five smooth stones? Delivery, clean release, accuracy he valued. You see, David was able to strike Goliath because he'd been using that sling. Second thing is, we think a sling in, in terms of like a toy for kids. But you'll find other places in the Bible, slings were a weapon of war. You could go, they use, these slings, I mean, you could take a rock the size of my fist and they get that thing going and they can deliver a rock that size, 60 miles an hour. Now, how many know that does some damage to you if it hits you? I've heard people say, well, when the rock struck Goliath, he died instantly. He did not. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says David stood over and pulled out his sword and then he killed him with the sword. Now, I don't want this to shake you up for me to say it wasn't supernatural because I'm going to tell you what the power of this story was. And I think you probably already guessed it. But I want to I want to eliminate things that decrease our faith and somehow think, well, that was just loud. That was just like a it it was just an invasion from heaven suddenly. And that's why David got the victory. I want to point out to you today that David got the victory. And the power of this story is that David had great faith in God that wouldn't let him be afraid, that wouldn't let him turn tail and run. But he stood up to this powerful warrior in the name of the Lord. And it wasn't just, it wasn't a supernatural rock flying through the air. It was a come from a man, a young man who had faith in God to give him the victory. See, there's a lot of people in the church, I think, we're battling things and struggling with things like, oh, Lord, take it from me. And God's like, I've given you the power already. You step out in faith. You put the faith on and you operate in faith. And then you'll see the victory. Then you'll see the enemy flee before you. Goliath was actually insulted that they would send David out. Mainly because he wasn't dressed as other soldiers. Right? He looked young. The Bible says that David was handsome. So for Goliath, it was more like, what is this, some kind of joke? But the power in this story, my friends, is simply the faith that David had to even get on that battlefield. The faith he displayed when the Bible says he ran to the giant he ran which is another reason why we know the stone delivered the mark because he generated force by running forward faith to believe god to do anything faith to go anywhere Faith to tackle anything, no matter the odds. You see, I believe atmospheres don't matter. We can shift atmospheres with our faith. 
We come against tough circumstances. Circumstances don't matter. We can shift it with our faith. We can change things with our faith. Jesus said, if you'll have faith, a grain of a mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain and tell it to move and it'll move. I am looking for that kind of faith today. I am looking for people that'll say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you send me, I'll go. God, whatever you've commanded, I will obey with all my heart. Because we're not just going to sit back. And this is what modern Christianity has done. We've got this kind of a, a sit back and we'll just wait and see. But God didn't create us that way. He created us to act. He created us to move forward. He created us to operate in faith. I'm preaching better than some of you are letting on today. Faith to do anything. Come on, that's not how any of us played when we were kids. Maybe you're like me when you were little. I had a little parachute army guy. Y'all ever had one of these? I got one with a parachute army guy. When there's a scary situation when I was eight years old, I send in combat Carl right here. Combat Carl. It's all scary over there. That's behind the enemy lines. Come on, combat Carl. Send him in. Right? And we hope combat Carl's chute opens too. That's always a... But it didn't matter because parachute army guy's tough. We would take this and we would just chunk it. Get in there. Go fight. Right? See, I want the faith of that guy. Lord, wherever you send me, I will go. Lord, wherever you point me, wherever the kingdom mission is, I'm going to go. God, wherever you tell me, whatever you're speaking to me, I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to stop blaming other people. I'm going to stop blaming culture. I'm going to stop blaming whatever. And I am going to press through. Listen, there's no stop signs unless it comes from God. But when God has told us to move, when God has told us to go, we go, my friend. We don't let anything stop us. We don't let anything slow us down. So rarefied faith. It asks a question like David asked, if not me, who? If I don't go, who's going to go? See, this is what shows us that rarefied faith will take responsibility when others won't. If you want to move in great faith, you're going to have to recognize when God gives you an opportunity, there's a reason why he gave it to you. Hello? Verse 26, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the approach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 29, David said, is there not a cause? One of David's first questions seemed to imply, why isn't anybody doing anything about this? You see, I believe if you want to operate in great faith, if you want to have rarefied faith, it often begins with the question. It sees indeed. It sees something not happening that should be happening. It sees a lack or a deficit. And it says something should be done about this. But it doesn't stop there. It often becomes, I am going to do something about this in the name of the Lord. I'm thinking of the man named Daniel Lanfear back in the 1850s. He said, America needs a revival. America's morality is waning. And he began, and, and lower man, 
Manhattan, he began a prayer meeting, and hardly anybody came to the prayer meeting. But after about a year, 10,000 people were gathering in downtown New York City for a prayer meeting, and people began to gather, and revival began to happen. Why? Because one man said, something needs to be done. To that end, I want to tell you, each and every one of us has an assignment on our lives. I got four good amens and nothing else. I'll say it again. Every one of us in here, if you know Jesus Christ and you're living for him, you have an assignment from heaven on your life. Now, here's the problem. If we don't fulfill it, likely that job will never get done. You see, I believe we sometimes falsely believe that, you know, oh, well, if we don't do it, if we don't go, if we don't act, God will raise up someone else to do it. I totally disagree because God made you unique. He made your personality unique, your skill set unique, your giftings unique. Everything about you is unique. And you, if we subscribe to, oh, well, if I don't do it, someone else will. The, only the devil wants you to believe that. And since this is ticking for all of us, We only have a certain amount of time on this planet to accomplish it. How much longer do we sit back and say, well, maybe next year when my finances are better. You know, maybe when I finally, you know, get things straightened out personally. My question to you is, what are you waiting for? Why? What's wrong with now? The message of salvation is an hour word. The message of the Lord Jesus Christ is an hour. Today is a day of salvation, right? Today is a day God wants you to start. Today is a day we turn the page. Today is a day, like we said last week, today will be the day of the lowest faith you've ever had. I declare this morning moving forward that your faith will only grow in the name of Jesus Christ if you're ready and you're willing to step into that. When the disciples came to Jesus about the lunch program, right, during his all-day seminar... What did Jesus say to those disciples? I'll get right on that. No. Come on, flannel graph Jesus. What did he say? You feed him. How offensive. Jesus died, shed his blood, put his Holy Spirit in him so we could be him on this earth today. What are we waiting for? I know we're waiting for combat Carl to come in. Come on. Come on, brother Ray Kwan. We call him Kwan the Baptist, man. We're going to send in Kwan the Baptist, man. We, we need some prayer. Come on, brother Jason. He'll go down there. We'll send him. We, we, we we're afraid we can't heal a headache, but Jason can. We know. Jay. Come on, Jason, get in there. Come on, Jason. Go. That's got to be all of us. Lord, I'll go. We sing this song, man, when I was a kid. Lord, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Right? Lord, I'll do it. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be whatever you want me to be. I'll do it. My answer is yes. When the man with the demon-possessed son came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, your disciples could not fix this boy. Jesus didn't say. No, this is what the Bible didn't say, Okay. Well, you know, they're learning. <laughs> you know, they've only been saved a year. <laughs> Is that what Jesus said? No, he, he, didn't, he didn't say, well, they're trying. Bless their heart. They had a bad week. 
the atmosphere shifted on them and they just, you know, they, they couldn't get out of the boat today. They just stayed. Oh. Jesus got alone with him and he said, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Ouch. Hello. Does that step on anyone else's toes beside mine? Rarefied faith. If we want to move in faith, we've got to take responsibility when others won't. Rarefied faith. Something else I see in this story here. I lost some of you when I said David's victory wasn't supernatural. I, I could see that. You checked out right then. Because you always wanted to blame it on something in the peripheral that happened or in the, you know, some, something's, you know, an angel came We wanted to blame it on that. But when we realized, no, it was just the faith of a young man who believed that God was able to, through him, give victory. That's a game changer. It was easier when I believed that an angel grabbed the rock and flew it through the air and hit Goliath in the head. And that's all it took. It was easier to believe that that David didn't have to prepare. It was easier to believe that David didn't have to have a, a, a prayer life in the secret place that prepared him. It was easier to believe that David hadn't killed some molehills before he was ready to tackle them out. It was easier to believe he just walked in there all sappy and he was two feet tall and Goliath was 300 feet tall and he threw a rock in there and it went and hit him. It's easier to believe that when you're trying not to take responsibility for the problems and the brokenness around us. But the good news is that's not what the Bible said. This is the second thing I want you to see. Because Jesus is waiting for us to use our faith to win the battles and overcome darkness. Often we sit static waiting for something else to happen while God is saying, I give you my authority. I gave you my power. Now I want you to take responsibility now. Rarefied faith requires building a personal history with God. A personal history with God. Verse 37 there in your text. David recited that the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. David said, God was with me when I killed a bear and I killed a lion protecting my father's sheep. So here I am today. Again, protecting my father's sheep from another enemy. His personal history served to build his faith. Sometimes we try to tackle Goliath and we have no history of faith building exercises. It doesn't mean that the battle can't be won. But if we're serving a God who says you can't please him without faith and faith is a victory that overcomes in the, the world, then we should trust him in his word on that point. David's full trust was in the Lord and how the Lord had used him before. It was easier for him to envision Goliath being defeated at his hand because he could already correlate that with killing a bear or killing a lion. And God was with me for those victories. God will be with me here now for this victory. We talk about killing the Goliaths in our lives. How about we start with killing the bears and the lions first? Oh, Pastor, I'm up against a Goliath. Well, have you killed a bear or a lion? Well, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's hard to give that $100,000 if I've never even given $1,000 first. And that's just an example. I want victory over a serious life-controlling issue, yet I lack the faith to even come to church every Sunday. See the incongruency? 
I don't have faith to show up, but, I, you know, I'm believing for a victor. You know, how about we build some personal history of faithfulness and faith building? Are you with me? Hello? I'm just preaching the word today. I want to see this body grow in an astounding level of faith. But some of you, I, I think you still, you're still struggling to see that. You struggle to see yourself in that role. And, and we joke about that. I'm the man of faith and power. Yeah, you are. If you want to be that or the woman of faith and power, if you're ready to really believe in Jesus and really trust him and stretch, I want to tell you, God wants to use you in amazing things. We desire to be that person of faith and power, right? Yet we can't find time to really pray and seek God out privately. Again, we got to build that personal history. If we want to grow in our faith, we have to grow in our private time with God. We have to have a history of slaying the bears and slaying the lions. And then when we come against our giants or our Goliaths, then it's not such a big deal. The only person sweating in this story was everybody but David. I don't know. I've seen bears and lions up close. I wouldn't want to tangle with them. That Goliath may have seemed like a day off compared to what fighting a a, a bear and a lion. I don't know. But because of his personal history, it prepared him. Because sometimes we want to move mountains and yet we have no faith to move a molehill. God wants to take us there. And this is the reason why I believe David rejected Saul's armor. It was simple. It wasn't what he's needed. He said, I'm not used to it. I, don't, I didn't need armor before. I don't need it now. And this is, this is really the story right here. David had such full faith and reliance on God. There was such a confidence in the Lord. And the thing, and the thing we usually don't think of is Saul's armor would, would have actually hindered David's faith. And I believe it would have gotten David killed also. I believe private victories are important and public victories in many ways. Because David had built character. He had built his faith, faith up with God when no one was looking. And I want to tell you something, my friends. It's what you do when no one is looking. It means far more than what you're doing when everybody's looking. What you're doing when no one's looking is far more important than what you're doing when everybody's looking. Because you see, God cares about character. And David came at this point in his life as a man with character. And we know that he wasn't perfect. We know he had some stumbles. We know he had some issues. But at this point in his life, he was a man. Number one, he always knew how to repent, which is amazing, which still made him the man after God's own heart. But he is a man who had character. And the things that were in private, the victories in private, empowered him for victories that were public. Rarefied faith will act when no one else will act. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. David walked in and said, I want everyone in this place. I want this whole army to stop being afraid. I'll go take care of him. You know, I love the faith and confidence in David's statement right there. And and, everyone stop being afraid of this guy. I'm going to go take him out because, you know, everyone was afraid. And these were battle tested soldiers, combat trained soldiers. They were all fearful. And here is David, pretty much just a shepherd for most of his life up to this point. And he steps up in faith and he says, you know what? I am going to do it. 
This is why I believe David's brother accused him of being prideful, egotistical, all the other names he called him. I want to tell you, whenever you move in great faith, get ready. People will call you arrogant. People will call you names. People will call you harsh. People will call you uh, prideful. They'll have all a litany of names that they will aim at you because you simply refuse to hear what they're hearing. You, you say, I got it, but I'm believing for greater things. I see God doing this. God is going to give it. Well, how dare you? Religious people hate that. Religious people get offended. How could you say that? You're giving someone false hope for praying for them when they're no 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 either we have faith for the victory or we don't and i i just i couldn't help but grab this part of the story here but david could have seriously gotten offended right here you prideful rude he even called him rude one of the words there he used it, it, it means rude david you're so rude his brother, right? His loving older brother, right? David, you're so prideful. You're naughty. You're rude. Whatever. You're so rude. You know, David could have said, you know what? You're a jerk. I'm leaving. Do, deal with it yourself. But I want to tell you something. I want you to see this here in this story that David did not allow offense to come in between him and what God had called him to do. Because I want to tell you, a lot of people do that today. And if you're offended, you're not going to have a lot of faith. And you're also never going to see revival in your life. I'll preach on way better than some of you letting on. I'll give, I'll give you a, a mulligan today because we, we're an hour of sleep less today. That must be it. David shook off possible offense. Offense will stop revival. Offense will stop you dead in your tracks. When you operate in great faith, I want to tell you, beware. Because the devil will try to send offense under your skin and that'll, that'll shut down your faith. One of my heroes of revival, Raekwon referenced him a couple weeks ago, Will, William Seymour. is one of my all-time favorite from the Azusa Street Revival. William Seymour, when he finally got to meet, at, well, well, first of all, what was cool about William, one of the cool things about William Seymour, he was preaching about something he, haven't, he hadn't even experienced yet. He was preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, and, and the gift of, of speaking in other tongues that accompanies that. And he was just so hungry. His hunger and his faith drove him. It drove him to, to seek out the fullness of God. He finally got to meet one of his spiritual fathers, Charles Parham. And when he finally arrived there to his Bible school, Show you how jacked up things was. He wasn't even allowed to go inside the classroom because of his skin color. Now, nobody would have blamed William Seymour for him saying, I'm leaving then. I come all this way from Houston, Texas, and this is, this is the thanks you get. You're not gonna let, I'm a preacher of the gospel for Christ. You're not going to let me in because I'm black? I'm leaving. I'm offended. Nobody would have blamed him. But that wasn't the character inside of this man's heart. William Seymour hurtled that offense. He said, how about I pull up a chair on the outside of the door and I just listen. You see why he's my favorite? And he got the teaching that he needed. 
And he went back, and God sent him to Los Angeles, California, where in 1906, an earth-shaking, planet-shaking revival started because there was a man who had great faith and great hunger in God, and he wasn't going to let offense keep him from becoming everything that God wanted him to be. What a lesson for us. We see that in David right here. I want to tell you, my friends, as long as you're willing to play a victim, you'll eventually become your own oppressor. Do you know that? If you want to let cultural help you help you help victimize you, and if you if you want to play that role, you can. But I want to tell you, you'll eventually be your own oppressor. All the oppression is happening up here. Didn't stop William Seymour. Won't stop us either. You hear me? It's not going to stop us either. We're going to be a people that move in great faith for the kingdom of God. Great faith acts when no one else will. Even if everyone else gets offended, even if everyone else gave up, even if everyone else gave gave up angry, everyone else decided to let someone else do it. Great faith says, you know what? I'm going to move in faith. That's uncommon. I'm going to let all that potential offense roll off me. I'm not even going to hear that. I'm not even going to hear that. Let small-minded people be small-minded people. Let faithless people be faithless people. But as for me, I'm going to believe God is able. Sometimes we keep praying for God to send a lightning bolt from heaven to take out our Goliath. But God is saying, no, 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 no. You have to go face that thing in faith and trust me for the victory. And you will see victory if you do. You hearing me? We want God to fly a rock down in the hand of an angel right to the forehead of, of our Goliath, but that's not how it operates most, most often. Love Romans sixteen nineteen, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And then here we go. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Wait, 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 wait. Whose feet is he going to crush? Wait, wait. I think that's a mistake. It should say the God of peace will crush Satan under Jesus' feet. Is that what that was supposed to say? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? My feet. Say it. My feet. Yes, it's with Christ's power. Yet the crushing happens underneath our feet. How would that happen if we're sitting back waiting for a lightning bolt to come from heaven? It won't. It happens when we engage the enemy. It happens when we take faith risks. It happens when we stand strong for Christ. It happens when we take a risk. It happens when we say, God, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to stretch my faith. I'm going to just believe that you're good enough. I'm going to believe that you're strong enough, God. You're bigger than my giant. You're bigger than the Goliath I face. You know, one thing that was absolutely irrelevant in this story, the size and strength of Goliath. It wouldn't have mattered if he was 300 feet tall. Wouldn't matter if he was like everybody else in 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, whatever else they were around that time. It wouldn't have mattered. The story is a kid who was a shepherd with zero training went used his faith in God and the little knowledge that he had with a sling, a weapon, 
And he did what trained soldiers would not do. The whole church stood by and said, we can't beat this guy. We can't listen to him cuss us out. Listen to him talk nasty about the God we serve. We can't. Where's this go hide? That's the story here. One man stood up and shamed all of them. David's great faith said, I believe that God is going to give me victory over this uncircumcised heathen today. You see, we can never say we have great faith unless we can point to something that we're doing for God that feels risky. If you have risk aversion, you might also have faith aversion. You see, unbelief will shut down anything God is wanting to do in your life. And I feel challenged, friends. I want to tell them about you. I feel challenged to live that kind of faith in God. Sometimes we're waiting for an invasion, but I want to tell you, or some type of supernatural intervention, and there's times for that. And there's times, yes, we thank God for that. But I believe God is simply waiting for us to have the faith of David. Stop letting fear hold us back. And stop letting the opinions of man hold us back. And let anything else that we've got going on hold us back from great faith he wants us to be empowered to go now 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 would you stand to your feet with me in the name of jesus in the name of jesus come on lift your hands to the lord just begin to worship him god i want to operate and move in great faith i want to move in great faith lord I want to move in great faith, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.